We've all seen the incredible horse and rider combinations as the backbone of our sport. But what about everything else that makes the equestrian world tick? From the everyday grind to the world-class professional, join the Equestrian Podcast as we talk about every equestrian discipline in a way that hasn't been done before. Now here's your host, rider, trainer, and influencer behind my equestrian style, Bethany Lee. Hey friends, and welcome to the Equestrian Podcast. I'm your host, Bethany Lee, and this is episode 172. Our guest today grew up riding in her home base in Durham, North Carolina, but unlike the majority of her junior counterparts, she actually never stepped foot in the equitation ring. Instead, she started catch riding ponies and then competed on a stallion, so she needed to compete in the professional hunter and hunter derby divisions instead of the junior hunters or the equitation. She has traveled all over the country and now all over the world working with trainers like Jack and Harden Towell and Liza Boyd, Jill and Sydney Schulman, and now she is also a dual citizen and most recently competed at the FEI European Championships for juniors as part of the team for Denmark. I thought this would be a really fun time to chat with her as she is recently 18 and about to dive in what looks like a super promising career. So without further ado, I would love to welcome our guest today, Gabby Striegel. Thank you so much for taking the time. I have learned a little bit about your life and your riding career and kind of the things that you're working towards moving forward. And I just find it so fun and interesting. So I'm so happy that you're on today. I would love to kind of hear from the beginning how you first found yourself in the horse. Yeah, well, that's kind of a funny story because I was born into it. My father was always a professional and a trainer and had lots of sale horses come in from Europe. So I was there from the beginning, but it wasn't until I was probably about 10 or so and I really got into the pony division where I realized I wanted to do it and stay in it because I was always known as like my dad's daughter just videoing all his horses on the stand yeah. and just being like there. But it wasn't until I, I got my first real pony and I just, well, first I fell in love with him and I couldn't imagine my life without him or spending every day without him and then I just completely fell in love with the sport and the competitiveness of it so quite a competitive person love it I mean I feel like you kind of have to be once you start kind of competing at that level or or in that big of a way oh no completely like I think to myself all the time you know I'll, I'll get out of a get out of the ring and I have like four faults and I'm like oh why? And I'm like, that's actually a really good round. You needed to yeah. go out. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> that is so funny. Yeah, that perspective is so interesting to have. I think a lot of us tend to have that kind of perfectionist mentality where it's like, go big or go For home sure. or like win or nothing. <laughs> if you did not win, oh you my are a loser. <laughs> I mean, some of my friends, you see them walk around the horse show and they actually had a great round, but they had two down or one down. You're like, okay, I'll give you 30 minutes and then I'll come talk to you. Yes. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. So tell me a little bit about your junior career. I know you're not that far removed from it, having recently had your 18th birthday. But tell me a little bit about how it kind of started and how you went from just kind of bopping around on your first pony to to then being like, you know, I'm going to significantly do this. Who did you start training with right off the bat? Well, my father, of course. And yeah. then, then when I started getting into, I had a small pony 
and I got him when I was six and he was six and he took me up from Crossrail to the division. And when I started doing the division, wanting to go into pony finals, I would say Jill and Sydney Schulman helped me a lot and took me to the ring. But I would say my junior career has been a little unorthodox by following the same path as everyone else, of course, growing up in America. I had my small pony and I did the division with him, was able to go to pony finals with him. And I was, I'm, I'm a short person now, but as a kid, I was quite tall. So it was actually Jill and my father, like on my last year of small ponies, they were like, no, you're, you're too big. <laughs> and then I was like, I was like, no, but why, why is it a little unorthodox? Is because as I said, my dad was a trainer and he had sale horses coming out. It wasn't like he was going to put all his money in giving me three small ponies, five small po- or medium ponies and 12, like large, you know, whatever. Sure. Yeah. And so when I was done with the small ponies, he was like, no, just ride some of my old Grand Prix horses. I was like, okay. <laughs> so I went from small pony to oh, an 18 hand horse. who took me around the jumpers and then when I was about 12 turning 13 I got a stallion called Cosmio and because he was a stallion I couldn't show him in the junior divisions right so I just went straight into the high performance hunters because he was such a scopey horse and a beautiful (laughs) horse that that's where he was the best so my they just set me up straight from there (laughs) but that's amazing and actually, the first week he came in from quarantine, I was doing my first Nations Cup in the Children's, and I didn't have a horse actually at the moment, and just went straight into the ring with him. Wow. <laughs> didn't know him, and I was like, okay. What but, was it um, like going from small ponies to jumping at that height, and like even just having your eye adjust the stride difference? It was, honestly, I was a kid who never thought about it, because I was always just like, oh yeah, I want to be the best. This is so cool. I want to be in the big ring. Yeah. So I always had that kind of like go-getter attitude or like, watch me do this. Like I was a very cocky little kid. I was like, <laughs> I should have been like, sat, like pushed back a little bit. But no, I was just so excited to have the opportunity and, you know, show what I could do a little bit. Granted, it was not the bat, I didn't go out there and was like Liza Boyd from the start, you know, with a little Rocky and my horse definitely helped me out more, more times than I can count. But it was just always fun, you yeah. know, to be like, I, I just thought it was such a cool experience to do small ponies. All right, I'm done with ponies. Let's go into the yeah. league yeah. now, you know? Exactly. And I think because you were such a young age making that transition, it was, you're, you're just, I think, more resilient the younger you are and you can adapt a little bit easier than maybe if you were making that transition later in life. So that's, that's oh, awesome. Yeah. As you I mean, were- I watch videos. I watch videos from when I was 13 on that horse and was like, what was I thinking? I was just young and naive. Uh huh. Exactly. That's so funny. So what made you decide? Was it just kind of based on the horses that you were able to ride that you decided to focus more on jumpers than the hunters? 
Oh, no. I, from the moment I could remember, jumpers was always on my mind. Mm -hmm. But my father didn't allow me to do jumpers until I, quote, mastered the ponies and the feel for hunters and distances, which I now am very grateful for because I watch, especially in Europe, I watch a lot of, like, people in the classes, you know, they don't have hunters over there at vacation. So, you know, even though they're amazing riders, they make a little bit more of those some of them can make more of those distance mistakes or like sure. in the rollbacks that the handies have taught me. Like those are just my thing now. For some of my friends are like, oh, it's a rollback. I'm like, no, it's the best. But I, I'm grateful for it now. But when I was younger, I was, oh, I was like, no, I want to do the jumpers. I want to do the yeah. jumpers. Because Absolutely. I mean, my dad, he worked, you know, with like, he, I saw he sold a horse to Sydney Shulman and he always worked with Ian Miller and I just saw those horses that he had come in and go into the big five stars or just, I remember watching like Amy and Tiffany and I was just like, that's what I want to do. I want to jump the big jump. So, I mean, I didn't even have a derbies on my mind. I was just given a derby horse. Yeah. That's <laughs> but, so um, cool. but it does lay nice groundwork to, you know, have experience in the equitation and the hunters. So yeah, I'm sure looking back, it's like, okay, like that, I'm, I see where he was coming from having me do the hunters. Oh yeah. Yeah. Now I admit it. <laughs> That's awesome. So when you were 14, was it that you moved to Canada? Yes. Okay. Tell me a little bit Um, about that process. Yeah. So when I was 14, that's when I sold Cosmio because he was like my main horse at the time. And I was doing basically the derby circuit with, and then had some other like jumpers, you know, but I was, my main focus was him doing derby finals and getting there. And so when I sold him, I was like, I want to put my heart and soul into jumpers now. And Ian, the Millers, they have always been great friends with my father. I've known them since I was young. And I went to my father and I was like, you know, because as a lot of people have, when a 14-year-old girl can butt heads with their father and be like, oh, dad, uh-huh. you know? Yep. So sometimes in the training, we would butt heads and it was just getting like, I was just, it wasn't work. It was working, but it wasn't, you know, the best it could be. Yeah. And there's just an interesting like, dynamic with working with family. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And, and every, every parent child rider combo will say it at some point in their life you know it's just nature yeah exactly um and so and as I said I always admired Amy and Ian and I went to my dad I basically was just like I want to learn from them I want to try to be the best I can he was like I agree I think they're great people for you and so they went and had a conversation and so I started riding with them in Wellington And then when it was time to leave for the summer and spring circuit, I had the opportunity to go up and train with them in Canada. So I made my first move out of the house at 14. And yeah, I let me tell you, it was a bit of a culture shock. Yeah, what was it? Tell me what it was like. It was an amazing, well, first of all, the culture shock at the farm was. I'm not the boss's daughter anymore, right? So uh, I'm actually, yeah. <laughs> I'm a client. I have to be like, yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. You know, 
And so actually that was a bit of an adjustment for me, but thankfully I knew them so well. But the the town itself was it's so cute and charming, but I didn't realize how small it was. I think there's a population of five hundred. It's like an oh, hour wow. hour and a, yeah, an hour hour and a half away from like Ottawa or something like that. Yeah. And so it was very rural, so it was kind of isolated, but thankfully I lived in the house with two other clients, so that was nice. And but it was it was interesting. I my dirt bike was my car to the barn because the house is on the property. And it's Canada, so it's cold and it's rainy. Oh, and yeah. I had to ride my dirt bike through the woods every single morning, sometimes in the rain, like all this stuff. And then I would get to the barn. I would help tack up my horse, which I actually really love there is creative grooms and all that. But, you know, they also want you to learn. They want to make sure, you know, you know, Mm -hmm. the off the horse part of it as well, which I really appreciated. And, but what I just loved about the Millers was, you know, my father and I, as we said, you know, I know I'm young, but I want to, you know, do it for the long haul. And I want to be looked at as, an aspiring professional or peer one day. Yeah. And they really took to that and they took me under my wing and, you know, they knew, they knew that I wanted to, you know, be their peer one day. So they were as honest as they could be with me, you know, even after my course or they'd walk different courses with me, be like, this is how you should do it. Or I remember one day my, my dad called Ian and I, I can't even remember what it was about, but it was like, I wasn't getting along with one of my horses. I was frustrated. So I, I'm just so used to, you know, talking to my dad as a trainer and I would just kind of do my frustrations. I didn't know my dad called Ian, but my dad called Ian to tell him. And Ian just was like, no. And Ian grabbed me and, you know, I'm like a little kid shaking my boots like, oh my God, <laughs> what's what I do wrong? And he was like, do you have a problem? I was like, no. I was like, well, if you do, talk to me you know, you got to fight your own battles. We got to figure this out together. So tell me. And I was like, Oh, yes, sir. So he really <laughs> shaped me to kind of stand on my own and be able to speak for myself, which I greatly appreciate because, you know, my father, he's my father, so he's going to look after me. So I always was able to kind of be with him. But it was my first time to be like, No, stand up for yourself. So I was like, Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. That's um, awesome. But it was just such a great experience. And go to the venues and you know be with them and next to them and walk the courses with you know an olympic athlete olympic athletes you know people who know everyone have seen every course possible every ring you know you just learn a lot and you just soak it all in that's amazing how how long were you with them before then heading to belgium so i was with them for a little bit under two years, a little bit over a year and a half. And then I moved, I moved back home. Well, I was like, my dad was like, come home. And I was like, okay. And he was like, ride with me for a while. Yeah. And, and then we, and then I was with him and I had my horses there. And then I went to Wellington that year and with my father and still riding, you know, a little bit with Jonathan and Amy and and then my dad had quite a big accident in the in that year in Wellington. So I guess that was two years ago now, or almost three. 
And so he was in the hospital for a long time and he was in a coma. And so I was kind of this kid with, you know, his whole barn in my hands. Wow. And I can't thank, yes, I can't thank Jill and Sydney enough because they were like, you know, they helped out in every way possible. Like yeah. Jill took on my dad's clients, you know, they helped me with my horses, make sure all the horses need any medicine supplements anything that they needed you know that I was kind of like oh my god it's all on me or like deal with grooms that didn't want to work anymore that wouldn't listen to me and that's overwhelming to like all get that like overnight yeah. yeah it was it was very overwhelming but I had such a good support system that I'm forever grateful for that didn't only help me get through it you know personally but with the horses and everything that came with it and then I was a then one of my then that was kind of the decision because my dad had a lot of physical therapy and rehab to do and we didn't know if he was ever going to really be able to be back on the show scene and so that's when I had my mom and I made the decision and my father but mostly my mom and I at the moment was to make the decision to go over to Europe and just, you know, since I don't have my father, you know, there at the moment to really, you know, do something I've mm -hmm. always wanted to do, but not feel like, oh, I need to ride this horse for a client or, or it just, right. I, you know, really. You could still kind of focus a little bit more on your career. Yeah, because it was at the point where okay, I know, I know my dad's okay. He's going to live. He's going to be fine. And I think, I think I also needed a change of scenery just mentally. Right. And to, you know, remember why I love the sport and, or if I didn't anymore, you know, because my father wasn't in it anymore, if I would be able to do it by myself. And I think that was just, it was my first time really being, you know, on my own and learning like can I do it can I do I really love it if my father isn't in it do I really love it if you know all these things that I've always had like can I stand on my own and still enjoy it so I really the past years found my own drive and love I would say more so than I ever knew because I would say writing was like during the whole craziness of my dad and it was crazy, you know, that I found my little oasis escape from reality was just, you know, getting on my horse and going on a trail where no one could get me, leave my phone, you know? And I think that was just, it was a big learning, big learning part of my time because it was just, you know, I found my own love for it. That's all. I guess mm -hmm. I said it like seven times, but no, just keep yeah. elaborating. But. Yeah, no, I think that makes a lot of sense. And that's something that I've experienced too. My dad recently passed away and I know like a big part of working through that was my work as a trainer and just like not necessarily like working or get, keeping my mind off of it, but even just like going on trail rides and sitting on horses, it's so crazy yeah. what, like how amazing therapy they are to us. Yeah, because it was like, I always would go on trail rides as well, but it wasn't until I had a, 
reason to just escape and found mm-hmm. that was my safe place. You know, like those horses are, those horses are my emotional support animals. Let me tell you, like totally. I've been away in America for the last two weeks and I'm texting everyone in Europe, like send me photos. I miss yeah, like, totally. You know, they're like my babies. <laughs> Absolutely. I wanted to take a moment to talk about our wonderful sponsor today, The Modern Horse. If you haven't heard of them before, The Modern Horse is a seasonal subscription service which features equestrian life and style products curated for riders, horse owners, and equestrian lifestyle enthusiasts. Their feature product, The Bit Box, is mailed to subscribers each season every three months and contains five to ten products including clothing, beauty, home decor, leather goods, and more, valued at over $250 and sold in a quarterly or annual bundle subscription. As a brand, The Modern Horse seeks to provide products which feature small female-owned businesses, luxury retailers, and upcoming items to provide subscribers with something they will love in each box. So to find out more and to get your first box, visit their website at themodernhorse.com. That's themodernhorse.com. Thank you so much, The Modern Horse. All right, let's get back to the episode. During that period of time when you were, you know, like living through that with your dad and and trying to figure out what was next for you, was there a moment where you were unsure if riding was a part of your future or was that always kind of the constant that you had during that time? If anything, I actually think it was a kickstart because when I didn't, when I couldn't just, when I wasn't able to just call my dad and talk to him, because my dad was always like my best friend growing up, you know, we were always together. Yeah. And we shared a love for horses together that, my, you know, I didn't have with my sister. My mom loves horses, but it, you know, wasn't the same. Yeah. Um, it's kind of a kickstart where I think there's a few different emotions. I think one of it was like, okay, take over the business for your dad, make him proud, show people you can also, you know, carry on his name if, something there was a worse outcome than there was and then another part of it was just like holding on to him but then it was also like the sense of gratitude that I have such an amazing thing in my life that you know makes me happy and it really did kind of show me like this is what I want to do regardless or just you know what makes me happy or definitely and I think I was I was it was definitely a kickstart because that's when I really got into wanting, like I've always wanted to be on the big stage, but I think that was the kickstart of me wanting to do everything, you know, not just being like the socialite rider, you know, really getting in with the horses, getting in with training, you know, the whole kabam of the sport versus just being in the ring, like a rider. Right. Right. So obviously at this point you had already experienced kind of life away from home being in Canada with the Millers, but now you are going to Europe. Tell me a little bit about that transition and, and what you kind of learned through that process. Well, okay. So when I first moved there, the place I was at was nowhere like the place I am now. So if we're just talking about like when I first went over there, that was a big culture shock because I was in the middle of nowhere in Germany and like a barn that was like 
very out of style to like anyone or anything I've seen. So that was like a little bit hard for me. Definitely Mm -hmm. like the living situations. I realized how privileged as an American I was in that certain area I was in. I mean, I lived in the tiniest room with a bed like smaller than a twin and it was freezing and it was cold. But I, so honestly, the first place I went to was not the best for me, but I did learn a lot, like especially with the strength and conditioning of the horse, really doing it myself because, you know, I had my father and he was such a good rider to set up a horse view to go into the ring. So for a lot of the big classes, you know, he would ride them before and set them up for me. But now it was my turn. And I would say that was the first thing I realized I was really learning was doing that work myself. And but once I left or oh, in the, the shows, but the shows, the first shows I went to are not what I go to now. It was kind of more like national local shows and the rings because in america we're very privileged with huge rings and there's no preloading so i remember the first show i went to we trailered in i know we trailered in i was like what i'm just getting on the horse and going to the ring oh my god what (laughs) and then i'm in the schooling area the size of like a bedroom with 900 horses we're all all sharing the same jump i'm like okay this is different i go into the ring there's three other horses in the ring and the ring is tiny like tiny and I'm just trying to get out of the way of people and all of that I'm like oh my god this is so hectic I like focus on my round yeah and but no once I got to the bigger FEI shows the preloading it was it was a lot for me at first honestly to like be able to focus on my like what I have to do for myself but also be out of the people's way (laughs) that was actually like the biggest culture shock for me weirdly (laughs) I don't know why and the whole and the warming up, which I actually now prefer, especially if you have okay, if you have more spacious ring, I actually prefer the way we warm up because huh. we have like stair jumps, but it goes quicker. Sure. Like in America, you get on like ten out or so some classes, and then in Europe, it goes so much quicker that you get out, you get on like twenty eighteen out, and then you mm. really feel like you get the sense of you know, to work your horse and the trot and the canter, set them up and then jump how many jumps you want to do. And then you go into the ring, you can actually like, you know, show them the ring a bit before and then get your pace going, which I like now. Yeah. So, I would say at first a little scary. <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh my God, I'm going to get run over. Most recently you've competed at the FEI European Championships as part of the team for Denmark. So tell me a little bit about how that kind of transpired and and your experience with the Danish community and and that culture. Yeah, so I am a dual citizen. My father is Danish. And so I've been riding for Denmark for a while. And I would say I love it so much because it is a small country, but we're just like a giant family. Like I remember I was coming in, I was thinking like, oh my God, they're all going to hate me. They're going to think I'm just some American trying to steal a spot on a team, you know, and all this stuff. And I was like shaking my boots when I first met them. And they were just so open and welcome. I mean, those are some of my bestest friends to this day. And, you know, it's, we're genuinely a team. Like even with the young riders, juniors, 
seniors like we all follow each other we all go watch each other we're all cheering each other on so you also get this sense of just like you know like a boost of just like yeah mm -hmm. like you 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 know you wanted a bit more for your team but then also you know you walk the course with them and you know we talk about it and we generally want the best for each other and going to europeans i mean that was it's a huge deal and i was so grateful for oh, it really? and you know we get there and i'm by all means not the best at danish at all it's a hard hard language <laughs> but i'm always like oh they're gonna be annoying like which speak english but i don't understand this or that but no like the chef to keep because the, the chef to keeps also the senior chef to like when you first meet him he's he's such an amazing guy when you first meet him you know he he's like big he looks like he's gonna be tough you uh -huh. know but so you're like oh but no he's so welcoming and it's just amazing to see that even though i didn't grow up and rate like wasn't grown up and raised with them that they you know they think of me as their teammate and as a person who's gonna stay and even the families like i remember i didn't know if i was gonna be able to go to home for christmas and COVID and all that stuff they're like just come stay with us you know so oh, yeah i think it's amazing and we we all want to rebuild we all want to build denmark to be you know in the olympics in the big stage you know we're all we all have that like sense of like all right we're, we're gonna make denmark something let's let's go and yeah actually have so many great young riders and juniors at the moment like hopefully we can soon totally so. oh that's exciting i know that a big part kind of side note i am a huge i always have had a huge interest in fashion with my you know like my blog my equestrian style and i know that you are a represented model so tell me a little bit about kind of what you do with that scene and then how that kind of if you utilize or use any of your fashion or style to kind of expand upon your equestrian style and how you would define your style while you're riding when i'm riding i would for sure say that i'm on, more on the classic look like i like the mm -hmm. original elegant look with like with a little bit of you know spice to it but i stick i'm a very classic like on the horse i like as class as it can be off the horse you know i think there's a, i mean there's so much you like we all wear the same clothes every day right and I'm not saying like go crazy and make it a statement, but you know, white, you're wearing white pants. You can wear a cute top. And yeah, you feel there on the horse show and all that <laughs> stuff. And like, I always, you know, when you look good, you feel good. Totally. And so I've, I agree. I've always just, yeah. And so I don't know. I always feel like there's a little bit of room to just diversity in the fashion world in the riding totally. community but totally if you're at I a horse show I'm on the horse yeah exactly if you're at a horse <laughs> show and you're not competing or you're not you may be not showing that day or you're just a spectator or watching a friend or um, a teammate what would be like a go-to outfit that you would put on I would definitely say um, I am the biggest fan of jeans but not yes. skinny jeans Ah. like boring skinny jeans no like i love jeans like if they have different kind of rip or pattern like i have a lot of patchwork jeans stuff yeah. like that cute so i always wear a good pair of jeans usually straight leg 
And then depending on the weather, of course, because in Europe, it's quite cold. So you usually just wear like a puffer jacket. Uh But if I'm just going in the summer, something I would do just like a nice, cute top, usually a bit more fitted or like I would I have a bit more of like streetwear than some of the Europeans because they all wear like Mm -hmm. nice flowy dresses or blouses. Sure. And I like it's like fancy casual in my way where it's like. I don't know. You, you you could be like on the cover of like a high end skate yeah. shop. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Like kind of. And it well, so. I mean it's kind of like I feel like it's also like where we're at with the world and where we're I, we've been like cooped up for so long too. So now I feel like at this point just like wear what you like to wear and just go for it. There like really aren't any rules anymore. Oh no, completely. Like I went to New York few days ago because I had an appointment up there and I was like I'm in New York for 24 hours I'm gonna wear a bomb outfit mm-hmm. why not walk yep. around the street and I felt great the whole day exactly and I was just like that's awesome why not <laughs> yeah exactly tell me a little bit about something within the equestrian world that you're really passionate about that you feel like the rest of the equestrian community either just doesn't know a lot about or you don't really hear a lot of people talking about? I would actually say, okay, I can't speak for everyone on this because there's so many people that are amazing with it, but relationships with stallions always stands out to me. Huh, yeah. Because I've had uh, a lot of amazing stallions and granted a lot can be very difficult and all that, but I've always stand by the philosophy that, you know, treat them normal until they give you a reason not to. And I think so many people are so quick to be very timid and try to like, you know, state their authority right away with them because my stallion, my stallion at the time, my main one, Dio, to the, to the normal eye, he seems like horse with no personality, quite mean and angry Mm. all the time. Mm -hmm. But like with me, he is the biggest puppy dog you could ever imagine. Yeah. And so many people like are very quick with the chain and stuff. And I think, you know, a hundred percent I have chains, you know, if you need them, you need them. Right. But I don't necessarily just put them on straight away because I found that it makes them a lot more studdish and like, I'll be on, I'll be walking on the horse, you know, I'll be walking next to my friend on the horse and we're conversing and we're just talking. My horse completely normal and all this stuff. And even on like, when I would ride Constant Stallion when he was hurt, you know, like it was my first time riding him. I'm very chill. You know, if you're chill, they're chill for the mm-hmm, most part. Right. And they look down and my friends are like, are you on a stallion? I'm like, yeah. yeah. He's like, I'm on a mare. And I was like, okay. Have you seen him do anything? <laughs> <laughs> like That's, you didn't yeah. even realize. Right. That's and a good I, point. And, and I've seen a lot because I mean, people are so, you know, they go to the jog and they have whips and all that. I'm like, Mm -hmm. for some horses, yes, it's necessary. But for a lot of them, I've noticed it's not. And like, I remember, like, I would go up to if I had a new groom or something, I'd go up to my sound, be careful, he bites. I'm like, "Uh, it's okay. Mm -hmm. I know him, like, yeah, treat him with respect. And, you know, then they're in awe of how sweet they can be. Yeah. And but I've had so many, you know, incidents where all of a sudden someone puts a tight chain on them 
and they freak out or they get so studdish because they also think a lot of times they have a chain on and they're going to breed. And a lot of times so I've just had to like take it off, calm them down, and then they're fine. So mm-hmm. I think a lot of times they get a bit of a bad reputation. Okay, they have the best reputation in the ring. Who doesn't want a gorgeous stallion? Right. You know? <laughs> yeah. But I think, you know, give them a benefit of a doubt a little bit. Mm-hmm. But they're not, I would say they're kind of like, like how you would say, you know, like an only dog, like a, the house mm-hmm. only has one dog. Yeah. Because they need their person. They don't need 10 people. They want right. their person or their two people and they're as happy as they can be. But yeah. That's, that's a really that's good point. I've always been very passionate about. Yeah, and I think that that's probably something that you've been able to be a really great advocate for, even starting like way back from when you had your first hunter that was a stallion, and being able to kind of see that. For yes, of course, there are some that act very study and very, you know, like very like bold when it comes to that and when it comes to ground manners, but also several that are just happy to go about their day normally and it does nothing not everything has to be a huge production oh yeah he for sure taught me a lot because he was known for being very chill and all that but he could flip a switch and when he did flip mm-hmm. that switch to this day i think that's one of the scariest ones i've ever seen oh my gosh <laughs> so but it's just the balance of figuring out you know when and where or you know When's their moment to shine and when it's not? <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I think that's a great point. Well, Gabby, thank you so much for taking the time to come on and share a little bit about your story. And you have such an exciting future ahead of you. I'm so excited to continue to watch your journey, but I wish you all the best. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. All right, that is all I have for you today. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you liked what you heard, please take a minute and write a review on iTunes. I would so appreciate it. It helps people like you find the podcast and it helps me get some killer guests. Thank you so much and I will talk to you next week.